The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams The podcast versions of the original Facebook Live readings during the coronavirus outbreak by Matthew Ogden, The Bearded Wit. Please bear in mind that as Facebook Live recordings, these are rough and ready, there are mistakes, there are a few trip-ups here and there, and there is laughter from the reader as he goes through and follows the humour himself along with you, the listener. We hope you enjoy listening to these and share liberally. Part 45 Before we begin, I'd like to ask you to seriously consider becoming a patron of The Bearded Wit by going to patreon.com forward slash thebeardedwit. You can support me from as little as $5 a month, which is essentially a cup of coffee, uh, and that will mean that I will be able to continue producing this material and other podcasts that I do, and it would mean the world to me to have you um, know that you're, you've got my back on this. Uh, I love producing this material for people, and it's been a huge pleasure for me to do this, uh, which basically started as a project for family and friends right back at the beginning of March last year uh, when the um, COVID-19 virus was really beginning to kick in. It was a way of basically connecting friends and family all over the world who were finding it a bit difficult as we all did and it's grown into something where I've got a lot of people listening all over the world. It would mean the world to me if you could take the time just to pop over to uh, patreon.com forward slash the bearded wit, sign up from as little as five dollars a month, as I say, it's a cup of coffee. It would mean the world to me because the more of you guys, you fabulous people out there that do it, the more I'm able to do more of this stuff for you on an ongoing basis. No obligation, but if you can, I would be so deeply grateful. Also, if you could take a moment to pop over to Facebook and uh, give The Bearded Wit a like and follow, uh, and also go over to my new YouTube channel as well, um, just search for The Bearded Wit uh, and subscribe. Uh, I'll be putting all of the live readings slightly edited um, and cleaned up a bit uh, onto that uh, over the coming weeks. Um, But yeah, join up, uh, get involved, like, share, follow, subscribe, do all the usual social media things. Okay, on with the reading. Thanks very much, everyone. Uh, Yeah, so we are um, um, well through the book. We're now 66% into the book. Um, Before I start, I would like to do the usual, uh, which is to appeal to you all to become a patron. Uh, You can see on the bottom here, patreon.com, the bearded wit, or supporter.acast.com forward slash the dash hyphen sorry the hyphen bearded hyphen wit um which uh, is a one-off opportunity if you don't want to become a patron you can go to the supporter thing at acast which is where the podcasts are hosted fantastic platform if you want to do podcasts um and you can make a one-off donation if you'd like there um but yeah so we're here we're here, we're here, we're here, we're here. Uh, wanted to say a quick thank you. Uh, I don't know if he's watching. I know he's working, I think, late this evening. But my partner in crime on Giggle Fix, which this also streams to, uh, a big hello and thank you uh, to Chris, who's been doing some sterling work, doing sort of daily, uh, whenever, regular little uh, snippets, five-minute bits 
of things that he finds absurd. Uh, and he gave me a big shout out yesterday on his little thing, uh, which is much appreciated. Um, it's fantabulous. Um, any other uh, stuff that I need to mention? Oh, yes. If you are fans of the podcast versions of this, you will start to notice ads appearing on the uh, on the podcast versions of it, mainly because I need to monetize all of this stuff I've done somehow. Uh, I have a few patrons, but not many. I want to keep doing this stuff live. Uh, you can support it from as little as five bucks a month. Um, but there are now ads on the podcast versions of the content that's going out. If you want to listen to the ad-free versions of that, you can do so by becoming a patron uh, and going to patreon.com. Uh, other than that, that's the evening's admin done. Let's do a quick recap, shall we? We are, as I say, uh, 66% into the book, the last book of the series, which is a trilogy in six parts. Always confuses me. Um, but somehow has a perfectly absurd logic that makes sense in the world of... Um, you're, you're, you're Douglas Adams, I suppose. Uh, this one is penned, it's the final book and another thing, it's penned by Owen Colfer. Uh, we are following uh, the uh, misadventures, one might say, of our ubiquitous heroes. Uh, they are all over the place, but they are currently, it seems, all converging on the planet of Nano, uh, which is somehow being manipulated, it would appear, uh, by Zaphod Beeblebrox. Um, Zaphod is fundamentally trying to engineer uh, a, a fight, basically, between his friend Thor and Wowbagger the Infinitely Prolonged. I have absolutely... I've never read the book, so I'm discovering this along with you, this particular book. So um, what Zaphod has planned is up for grabs, I guess. Um, at the end of the last episode, uh, we had got to the point where um, basically Wowbagger and Thor are now on the same planet. Wowbagger has discovered that perhaps he doesn't want to die anymore. He's wanted to ever since he became immortal and got bored of it. Uh, he's wanted to find somebody that can actually kill him. And Thor might be able to do that, um, perhaps. Um, yeah that is the world's worst recap brilliantly done I'm sure you'll, you'll uh, admit let us crack on another slurp of hot beverage here we go chapter 10 the word went out to the sentient beings of Nano that there was some major aggravation about to kick off in Tyropolis, and it would probably be best to steer clear until the earth stopped shaking, which of course meant that everyone made their way immediately to the scorched meadow on the outskirts of the town, except Nichols Adair, an ex-mayor of New York, who was locked in a Kong treatment room on enforced detox. The Pootletink birds were amongst the first to arrive, having the advantage of sensitive primary feathers, which their leader, Perco St. Waring Spectacle, used to steer 
a borrowed minibus, used to steer a borrowed minibus. Perko stopped the bus by driving it into a ditch and then sent two of his flock to keep places at the fence while the rest of them went out in search of dairy-free cappuccinos. The personal trainers arrived next, racing across the fields in diamond formation, seemingly untroubled by the mid-afternoon sun. Having cleared the fields, they jogged all along the road, each with a bicycle on one shoulder and a beautician on the other. "'Shouldn't you be riding that thing?' Arthur commented to a bulging young man who happened to warm down beside him. "'Oh, grow up!' snapped the trainer and stalked off, leaving Arthur utterly bewildered. Thor, meanwhile, was limbering up in the scorched meadow, throwing a few shapes and making sure his leggings were securely secured. He felt nervous. Truth be told, though it probably never will be, especially to Zaphod, he felt terrified. This was his first public display since that damnable video had aired, which thankfully no one here seemed to have seen. As far as these people were concerned, he was a first-class god who had never dabbled in rock stardom or candid movies. He had a chance to make a good impression here, something he could build on. If I do well today, Thor realised, it could go a long way to restoring my reputation. I really hope this immortal plays along and doesn't die too quickly. A good kill- a god killing a non-god can seem a little unsympathetic if it isn't played just so. There was quite a crowd gathered, and the atmosphere seemed very festive. The younger Pootletinks were plucking dead tail feathers and helicoptering them down on the field, while a caffeine-hyped squad of veterans were doing flyovers, complete with synchronised loops and stunt dips. The trainers were forming a human pyramid on the crisped fringe of grass, while the kind-hearted beauticians were consoling the desperate residents of Tyropolis and Kong, most of whom had long since forgotten how to beautify themselves. "'It's my hair!' one elderly lady wailed. "'I pointed the hot blowy thing at it, but it still won't change colour!' "'And these nails!' said another. They just keep growing. Every day it's the same. Come back, Jasmine. Please come back. Buckeye Brown had a baleful glare triangle going on. First he looked down at his shoes, then over at Buff Orpington, and finally at a tall tanned man sporting red trunks and flip-flops with an emergency whistle clamped between his teeth. Head and shoulders Above these people stood the Thunder God. I can bring these mortals together, thought Thor. One God, one faith. The more people that believe in me, the more I can charge. And I bet one of these girls could do a nice beard braiding. No sooner had this happy thought formed in his mind than the old insecurity came flooding back. It's going to be a disaster. The Sabitha people hate me, no matter how sensitively I kill this immortal fellow. All they're going to see is the negative. Thor shrugged. I may as well get a few braids in. Might lift my spirits. 
On the far side of the scorched circle, Wowbagger was feeling light-headed and giddy. The moment had finally arrived when he could kiss this corporeal realm goodbye and good riddance. Several lifetimes of suffering were almost at an end. I think this guy could do it, thought Wowbagger. I'll get him a little riled up with some choice comments and he'll hit me with the big pile driver. Thor certainly looked as though he was up to the job. Power came off him in waves and he was shooting practice lightning bolts at a bunch of volunteer cows who were providing moving targets. He's the one. I can feel it. But there was an uncomfortable thorn in Bowerick Wowbagger's moment of celebration. The Earth Woman, Trillian Astra, had changed him. My heart pistons are pumping like crazy. I'm off my food. I have zero interest in insulting people. It's almost as if I have a virus, but I don't get viruses. Wowbagger knew what had happened. The dark space had taken a speck of attraction and amplified it until it seemed to him that he was in love. Is that what happened, really? Couldn't I just be lucky for once, for, for a change? Doubtful. The lady in question was standing by the fence, arguing with her daughter. Also remember, Bowerick old man, if you take the woman, you take the girl too. And surprisingly enough, that didn't bother him too much. There's always the tube, though Trillian wasn't so impressed with that solution the last time. Wowbagger waved across the meadow, and Trillian waved back. Waving? I I can't even remember the last time I waved at someone. Trillian finished the row by turning her back on random and stomping across the field, her high heels puncturing the earth with each footfall. That girl, she said, punching Wowbagger's forearm. She she knows how to get me going. What's she saying now? Trillian's face was pale, except for two apple-red spots on her cheeks. Anything she knows, I won't want to hear. It's just the dark space talking. It will pass. I don't think so. Random hates me and everything I love. I think if I had ever loved Arthur, she would hate him too. You never loved him? No, I just felt I was getting old, and his were the only human swimmers available. I see. I left her before. I I didn't really mean to, it just happened. So she hates me for that. Surely she doesn't hate you. Trillian nodded sharply. She does. She says that I made her miserable, and if she can't have a husband, why should I? And then... Trillian decided to stop speaking. Half a sentence too late. Wowbagger coughed once in surprise 
and then had to cough several more times to cover himself. I've scared you? No, not at all. Uh, can I presume you were referring to me as potential husband material? There were tears in Trillian's eyes. Yes, but it was just talk. You've dreamed about this moment for so long and I have nothing to offer you but hardship. This life is for random, I've promised her. You go ahead and kill yourself. Don't you worry about me. It sounds selfish when you put it like that. Trillian wiped her cheeks. No, no, I understand perfectly. You've had a terrible time being immortal in that wonderful ship of yours, drinking beer and insulting people, not to mention being incredibly handsome and charming. It's been hell for you. I realise that. You make it sound glamorous. Wasn't it? I, I, I seem to recall you being linked to several starlets. Oh, that was just physical. Those females meant nothing to me. This is, historically, the third worst thing to say to a female of any species. They meant nothing. Why not? Wowbagger spread his arms. How could they? Even as we mated, they were growing old. There's number two. Trillian's eyes flashed. Growing old? We all grow old, Bowerick. Believe it or not, I'm growing old too. Wowbagger realised that his lack of intimate communication over the years was doing wonders to increase his chances of dying alone in the very immediate future. You may be growing old, he said desperately, but you have years left before you're too old to reproduce. And there's number one. Badabingo. Green stick in the green hole. Zephod and Ford were reunited in a flurry of complicated Beetlejuicean ritual handshakes that neither of them could ever remember past the second underarm squelch. Ford abracadabraed a couple of sea dragon eggs from his satchel and mixed them both a cocktail. I love opera, he said when the effects had worn off. It goes so well with drinks. A pity we didn't have some blood sludge to nibble on. Zaphod smacked his lips. Blood sludge? Wow, that takes me back. You remember that implement? I do remember it. And the thing with the curvy end? Wow, that was one hell of a fruity retreat. <laughs> Monks, who knew? They sat on a patch of springy grass that had escaped Thor's lightning display, watching the pootletink birds soar overhead. Are they... Oh, are they supposed to lay eggs mid-air? wondered Zaphod. Seems a little uh, devil-may-care. Those birds lay a lot of eggs. They're just trying to keep the population down. Arthur strode across the meadow, intent on interrupting the soiree with some pertinent information. Something most Beetlejuicians don't like to deal with on a daily basis, in case this spoils their mood. Guide note. Beetlejuicians have been known to ignore reality completely, especially if they happen to be holding a drink of the alcoholic kind. More especially if there are novelty ice cubes in the drink, which can clink hypnotically and make the most urgent impending disaster seem trivial. 
It is a little-known cosmic irony that the Praxi Beetle communities on Beetlejuice and Seven were enjoying the precog Pantheos opera The Great Collapsing Hrung Disaster when the real Hrung Disaster actually occurred. Only Ford Prefect's father survived because he'd snuck away from his work colleagues to try and pick up a better signal on his guide in order to follow the last behemoth standing. The Hrung in question had little to say about his collapse, apart from he had decided to give up interpretive dance and was sorry for the inconvenience. Vogons, said Arthur, flapping a hand vaguely towards the skies. There are, there are Vogons on the way! Zaphod seemed about as concerned about Vogons as a bug bladder beast would be concerned about beast bladder bugs. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, Eggman. Uh, yes, don't worry about it, Eggman. Enjoy the moment. Don't worry about it, Arthur spluttered. Didn't you see what they did to the Earth? Don't you remember those death rays? Zaphod's smile was so condescending that he would have earned him five years in a Shovian prison. Guide note. On the continent of Ashovia, everyone is so highly strung that facial expressions and intonations have had to be regulated. The 20-year kowtow border conflict was sparked uh, off by a raised eyebrow, which later turned out to have been plucked that way, giving rise to the Ashwavian sayings, Think before you pluck, irresponsible plucking costs lives, and pluck one, pluck all. The Crabulons destroyed the Earth, said Zephyr, not the Vogons. It's complicated. I, I don't expect you to understand. Complicate? How, how is it complicated? Well, it's complicated for a monkey, not for an evolved being. Arthur wiggled his fingers. I, I, I'm evolved. I've got thumbs. See? See? Thumbs? Zephyr snorted. If that's all there was to evolution, thermals would rule the galaxy. Thermals, said Ford, eight thumbs, great at opening jars, but about as many brain cells as blood sludge. Ha, remember that blood sludge? I got barley and maybe garlic. That's what I thought, definitely barley. Arthur's hands shook before him as though he was playing an invisible accordion. Vogons? Hello! The Vogons are coming! Yes, we know, said Zaphod. But they have to jump through some pretty bendy space to get here. By my calculations, they won't make it for a couple of centuries, if they make it at all. Centuries? Are you sure? Of course. Relax, Arthur. If Ford hadn't been drinking, the phrase, by my calculations, coming out of the mouth on this particular head of Zaphod's, might have set a few warning lights flashing. But the sun was warm, there were pretty girls everywhere, and Ford didn't want the image of a dribbling Vogon in his head to destroy the mood. Arthur, on the other hand, had never met a good mood he couldn't puncture. You seem very mellow, Zaphod. Aren't you supposed to be upset? 
Why should I be upset? Thor is back on the books, and I'm about to relaunch his career. Things are so great I may just turn a freeze ray on myself to preserve my fruitiness for future generations. What about the uh, fat ass thing? What fat ass thing? Wowbagger was calling you fat ass, remember? That's what got us all started on this whole thing. Zaphod's eyes wobbled in their sockets as he cast his mind back. Nope, I'm not getting anything. Fat arse, you say? He never did. In spite of all his experience with Zaphod, Arthur was flabbergasted. You don't, you don't remember Zaphod? What are you even doing here? Zaphod patted Arthur's shoulder. I go with the moment, he said, adapting the wise tone he saved for what he believed to be special moments in other people's lives. Don't try to understand me. Just be grateful that you felt the warmth of Zephard Beeblebrox's aura on your wonderstruck face. Arthur's face did not seem particularly wonderstruck. Whatever, Zephard, but he called you fat ass. Take my word for it. Once? More than once? Several times. Zaphod jumped to his feet. Right. Time to get this party started. More than eight times, would you say? Maybe twelve. At least ten. Zaphod strode across the scorched earth. Thor. Thor, old friend. Ready to make a new video? I should have smoked, thought Wowbagger. Why not? All this time trying to stay in shape while simultaneously hiring a sex... I'll try that entire paragraph again. But I'll do so after a quick slurp of coffee. It's not tea. I've, I've explained before in the office here that tea-making device is rubbish. It's as good as a... Yeah, you know. Entirely, but not unlike tea. Uh, there we go. I should have smoked, thought Wowbagger. Why not? All this time trying to stay in shape while simultaneously having a succession of idiots rub me out. That's a little bit of a contradiction there, Bowrick, old boy. Perhaps there's a part of you that wants to live. Bowrick rubbed his suddenly itchy nose, thinking that it would be nice to have these epiphanies before setting up a death match with one of the Aesir. Wowbagger stood alone on one, diag one diagonal of the scorched X, waiting for Thor to extricate himself from his manager, a group of statesmen, several admiring trainers, and a girl who seemed to be braiding his beard. Come on, he called, I don't have all day. Why not? A pootletink bird called from the fence. I thought you were immortal. This got a big laugh, so Wowbagger decided to nip it in the bud. When dealing with a heckler, go for the deeply personal had always been his motto. You have some stains on your tail feathers there, birdie. You a bedwetter. The other birds laughed so hard... Uh, as uh, sorry, <coughs> excuse me, 
The other birds laughed hard enough to bring on a bout of spontaneous egg-laying, and the target bird shot him such an evil look that Wowbagger was glad he would be dead in a few minutes. Finally, Thor seemed to be finished with his ringside business and lifted himself from, lifted himself from the head of Mjolnir, on which he had been perched. Here we go, about time two. The Thunder God was a huge specimen, at least four, time, four times Wowbagger's height, but not slow or ungainly. Thor moved as though he was being careful enough to not break stuff with every step. I am probably the only person here not afraid of this guy, Wowbagger thought, but then amended that thought too. I am probably the only person here besides Beeblebrox who is not afraid of this guy. Beeblebrox probably thinks he could win this fight. Then a funny thing happened. With every step Thor took across the scorched earth, he seemed to grow smaller. Heat haze, thought Wowbagger. It must be. It was not. Thor was actually shrinking, and by the time he reached the X's intersection, the Thunder God was too short to be allowed on most fairground rides. Oh, he said. What's up? Wowbagger blinked. Me, I think, at least from your perspective. Thor patted his own tiny body. Sorry about that, he said, embarrassed. Zaphod's idea. If I just come out here and crush you, how's that going to make me look? Like a bully, that's how. This way, for any cameras pointed at us, I look like a giant killer, which is a much better angle, according to Zaphod. And he knows media. The god frowned. Though, he does make the occasional mistake. Wowbagger felt a buzz of anticipation behind his eyes. So... What happens? I kneel down, I suppose, and then you clobber me? Thor was almost affronted. What? No, no, that wouldn't work. That's an execution. We have to give these people a show, and not just these people. Eventually this is going to filter through to the entire sub-ether. The sub-ether. Never watch it. Never? No, it's all junk. Give me a classic movie any day. Oh, I wish everyone was like you, but they're not. These days in this universe, careers are made and broken on the sub-ether. But you're a god. What do you need with a career? Thor stroked his beard plat, uh, plat, which he probably was not aware had a few beads braided through it. That's a good question. Uh, but I know the answer because we did this in circle time after my breakdown. Uh, gods have god-sized egos, so we need a lot of love to stay healthy. You see those gods going around blighting crops and drying up rivers? Well, those guys don't get loved. It's, it's a cycle, you know. You have no idea how depressed gods can get. One minute we're adored, the next despised. 
I've been in the troughs, believe me. Guide note. Loki, the trickster, once used his hypnotic charm to convince the Aesir that he had decided to mend his ways and set up shop as a brainologist to the gods. His client list quickly drew grew as relieved sorry, his client list quickly grew as relieved divinities flooded to his door, eager to be regressed and find out why the hell they were so attracted to unicorns and so forth. Thor himself was actually feeling much better and beginning to develop real affection for his brother when he discovered that Loki had done a deal with Woohoo! magazine and the sessions were being serialised. To make matters worse, Loki had considered Thor's sessions a bit dull and so had added in a lot more weeping in continence pants and an eccentrica galumbits fixation. Wowbagger nodded thoughtfully to convey the impression that he was prepared to care, but really he was only prepared to nod. That's great. I understand the whole thing. Now, a, a cycle. Right, um, should we wrestle for a while? Thor glanced over his shoulders, worried that someone would tumble the rigged nature of the showdown. A, a bit of a chat first. You stole my ship, blah, blah, blah. Then you strike the first blow. I pretend to be injured, maybe limp a little, a little back and forth. And then boom on the temple and the fat lady has well and truly sung, my friend. Uh, which fat lady? Oh, nothing. It's a Valkyrie expression. Wowbagger glanced at the sidelines. There were tears on Trillian's face, but she was not taking one step to stop proceedings. Okay, little man, it was me. I stole your ship. Thor drew a sharp breath, puffing out his tiny chest, trying not to look mortified by the script he was supposed to stick to. You! My father gave me that interstellar longship which I named after my beloved goat. While broadcasting the thought, I hated that bucket of slime, which is why I sold it to a guy in a bar. Yes, I did steal it, and I'd do it again. Oh, oh, you would, would you? I may be a benevolent god, evil giant, but I can only forgive so much. Enough of this dire cabinetage, thought Wowbagger. Cabinetage being a word he had picked up while preparing his global insult for the soap opera planet Sunny View, where the entire world was a television set with 18 satellite suns for three-shift daylight shooting. Oh, let's speed things up a bit. Cut the buffer biscuit, you preposterous little Viking. Your daddy hates you, and your mummy pretends you're someone else's son. Thor involuntarily shrank back an inch. This wasn't in the script. What? What did you say? Wowbagger ploughed on. Everyone knows it. Thor the drunk, they call you. I think you should have stayed at the bar. A small thundercloud suddenly appeared overhead, spitting white lightning. You stole my longship, evil giant, spluttered Thor, thinking, I'm spluttering, 
gods shouldn't splutter. This is a disaster. They're going to hate me. Sure, whatever you say. And another thing, everyone knows you detest mortals. I, I do not. What? This was my father's ship. Remember the long ship? You think l mortals are second-class individuals. You wouldn't wipe your boot with a mortal. Thor grew taller. Much taller. Yes, I would. You would wipe your boot with a mortal? There were a couple of boos from the audience, maybe a hiss. Yes, I mean no. I don't know. Maybe if my boot was dirty. Wowbagger tapped his chin. And did I hear something about a video? This was as far as he got. Because suddenly Thor was looming over him with Mjolnir raised to strike. What happened to back and forth? wondered Wowbagger. And then the hammer came down so fast it blurred crashing into his head with a noise like a meteor impacting on a field of ice. Goodbye, Trillian, thought Wowbagger. Then he was driven bodily fifty feet straight down into his grave. Thor was in two minds about his performance. The up-and-over swing always made good television, but it was a pity he couldn't have dragged it out a little longer. What choice did he have? The green guy was just about to mention the video, and then the various browsers would have tagged the moment, and before you know it, everyone's linking back to the old site. He was about to turn to Zaphod to check his manager's reaction, when he picked up a faint thought from about 50 feet below his feet. And the thought was either... Shark Eye Knothead or Zark I'm Not Dead. Zaphod whistled the first bar of Blinko in the Bay Box, an old Beetlejuicean epic shanty concerning Prickled Mollusk and his time spent in captivity. What do you think, Ford? Oh, what do you think, Ford? Did he do enough? Ford whistled the second bar back at him. I don't know. I never felt like there was a threat. There was no drama. You're right. It was all over too quickly. Zaphod looked around. I wonder if there's anyone else in the market for a hammer in the head. Thor jogged across the field. What do you think? Nice up and over, wasn't it? Uh, I lost my temper a bit, though. Let the little green guy rile me up. Don't worry, Zafe, it won't happen next time. Next time? Yes, next time. Uh, the green guy isn't dead. What? Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. He's climbing out of the hole now, thinking very nasty thoughts. How much did you give him? I, I don't know. Maybe 50%? Something like that. Zaphod whistled another few notes of Blinko. Fifty? Really? Did anyone ever survive that before? Uh, no one that didn't have a seat at the long table. 
Zaphod beckoned to his client to shrink himself down a little. Uh, tell me, Thor, honestly, can you finish Wowbagger off? Can you do it? Thor hunkered down. Zaph, I could finish off this entire planet with 75%. He stretched his rotator cuff. You might want to move everyone back a little, though. Wowbagger crabbed one elbow out of a crack in the earth. My suit is ruined, he thought. And that big ape didn't even break the skin. Trillian felt broken. Her soul had been split by the hammer blow, and she would never be the same. We had one day together, and it was the most important day of my life. Had she done the right thing? Trillian wondered. Could she even pretend to herself that she'd made the right choice? Beside her, Random was perched on the fence, busily taking no notice of her mother's sacrifice. <sighs> she grunted suddenly. The bugger is still alive. I knew it. For only the third time in her life, Trillian Astra fainted. A vast cone-shaped ship of white alloy poked through the nebula. Its once smooth fuselage pockmarked by two centuries of space debris impact. Not more than one-tenth of its 800 tri-propellant rockets were functioning, and there was barely enough life support to keep the crew breathing. The fresh food supply was utterly exhausted, and there had been nothing but recycled fluids to drink for several months. The entire crew was fatigued and starving. Their morale was low, and none of them had ever known a home besides this gigantic ship they were contracted to voyage in until their mission was finally complete. The captain, a once corpulent giant of a man, had shrunk to scarecrow proportions, but he was a hero to his people. His eyes flashed green fire when the day's work was good and deep red when a duty was neglected, or an officer mistreated his men. The crew loved him, and would follow him into hell if need be. His name was Eden Cho, and today was the day when he could finally complete the mission entrusted to him by his father, and maybe live a little of his own life. Navigator, tell me again, he called across the bridge to young Vishnal Lee Sens, only seventeen and already an excellent pilot. We're here, Captain, there can be no doubt about it. The orbit is a little weird, but the air is breathable. Cho nodded. It was just as well, because once they landed, they wouldn't be taking off again, ever. Very well. Take us down, careful with the compensator, and send any extra spark of power we have to the verifier. Lee Sense swallowed. The verifier? My God, are you certain, Captain? I'm certain, Eden Cho responded grimly. We only get 
one shot at this. Now, take us down. Lee Sens crashed his knuckles, uh, cracked his knuckles, then wrapped his fingers around the manual control. May the unbreakable guarantee protect us, he said. Around the ship, his prayer was echoed by over 2,000 souls. On the surface of Nano, the crowd was feeling a little cheated. Perko St. Waring Spectacle was showing a new and not altogether attractive side of his personality after a few coffees and a build-up of anticipato acid in his wings. Is that it? he called. Is that, is that the entire show? Lame-o! Pathetic! Hillman Hunter was none too impressed, either. I mean, it was a good hit, that off and over action, but the cheesers guy is getting back up again. What good is that to me? Buff Orpington had tears on his cheeks. You'll do it all right, just you wait and she see. Thor's just warming up, that's all, working out the kinks. He better work them out fast, or all we'll all be adoring the big cheese. The surface chatter was abruptly halted by the sight of nearly a hundred spiralling rings of light descending through the atmosphere. The rings incrementally revealed themselves to be the rear engines of a gargantuan ship which eased itself towards Earth. Shedding shield panels as it dropped. Several of the engines sparked and burned out, dropping the ship in erratic jolts until it finally touched down in a nearby lake, flash-boiling it to a misty shroud. Ooh, said Ford Prefect. Spooky! There was almost complete silence for several moments until a slender robot arm, muscled with power cables, popped from a hatch in the strange ship's belly. At the tip of the arm was a blinking sensor that moved rapidly towards the crowd, quickly circumventing the cows, hoping for a meat eater. Further and further the arm went, telescoping from the body of the ship, over Wowbagger's head, through Thor's legs, dodging away from Zaphod, who made a lunge for it, stopping finally in front of Random. Random Dent! it asked in a real robotic voice back from when robots were robots and didn't have personalities of their own. Random stood her ground. Uh, yes, I guess. A hollow opened in the probe's tip. Spit, please! Random dropped a bubble of saliva into the hollow, which immediately bathed it with a series of lasers. After several moments... A green light winked on. Identity confirmed. Here is your package, and thank you for purchasing with you bid. An envelope dropped from the robot arm into Random's waiting hand. Um, thank you, she said in a small, slightly guilty voice. Enjoy your product, said the probe. And if you have any complaints, please feel free to write them on a bumpy log and then hammer said log into your auditory canal. The probe swivelled back towards the ship. Mission complete, it said. That's the last one. 
there was a muffled cheer from inside the gigantic ship. Then its structure slumped, and it began the slow process of falling completely apart. Random was young, and her lungs were full of concentrated dark matter, and so, without considering all the the possible consequences, she tore open the envelope and rang along the fence to where Thor was patiently enduring a little pep talk from Hillman Hunter. Put these on your hammer, she said, interrupting the Nanite leader. The thunder god frowned. I I thought I heard something, sort of a squeak, squeak, squeaky, squeak. Down here, shouted Random. Thor bent over, elbows on knees. Oh, look, a little girl. Oh, my God, are you a fan? Do you want an autograph? Is that it? I don't usually do school appearances, but I could make an exception. Random wasted a second fuming and then, Listen to me, weatherman. I researched immortals on the sub-ether and out, on the, and out of the thousands of hits I found on the topic, there was not a single tested and confirmed method of killing one. Zaphod chuckled. But this is Thor, Curly. You can't test and confirm him. He's the big time. Big as he wants to be. Hmm. Okay. Well, then he's going to look big time stupid in front of all these people when he can't kill the green man. That's uh, not going to happen, said Thor, without much conviction. It won't happen if you put these on the head of your hammer. Nothing goes on the hammer. Mjolnir stays pure. Random spoke slowly, so the Thunder God would get the picture. I did manage to find a theory by a little-known scientist on an unregarded world that said an immortal can only be killed by an object that has come from the same transformational event. Even Zaphod could follow that. So, what did transform Wildbagger? He fell into a particle accelerator, trying to retrieve a couple of elastic bands. Bands that I bought on Ubid from the high priest of the temple of Wildbagger. Thor reached out a finger and thumb. Why don't I just put these bands on my hammer, he said. Bowerick Wowbagger, the infinitely prolonged, was feeling a little light-headed, and it was a feeling he relished as it reminded him of when he was a mortal. He dragged himself from the crack in the earth and lay gasping in crisped curls of grass as the Ubid ship fell to pieces beside him. More intrigue, he thought. I can't say that today hasn't been at least interesting. As he lay there prostrated in the dirt, thinking as usual about himself and his now unlikely death, he saw that there was someone else on the ground. Trillian. And this was the moment when Wowbagger knew for sure that he was in love. Because at that moment he stopped thinking about how Trillian related to him and started to think about Trillian herself. Is she harmed? What's happened? 
Wow Bagger shook off his wooziness and jumped to his feet. I'm coming, he called, leaning into a run. I'm coming. A shadow fell across Wow Bagger's face. Something mountainous obscured his view of Trillian. Time for the big one, said Thor, bending over so his head appeared bizarrely upside down. How does his helmet stay on? wondered Wowbagger. And then Mjolnir hit him with such injurious force that it sent him straight into the stratosphere. Arthur was deep in conversation with the Pootletink bird when he saw Trillian keel over. No, he was explaining, the game is called cricket. A wicket is made up of stumps and uprights. Oh, good lord! Come on, said the bird, it's very confusing. So when a person runs, it's called a run. But the oh good lord was not directed at the bird. Rather, it was blurted involuntarily as Trillian fainted dead away. Arthur dropped the sorrier yogurt he'd been enjoying and raced along the fence to where Trillian lay unmoving. This is disgraceful, he fumed. Her own daughter, our own daughter, is walking away. What has happened to Random? That child needs to be taken in hand. This last was a statement oft repeated in the Dent household when Arthur was a boy. His father trotted it out at every opportunity whenever Arthur strayed even minutely into prescribed behaviour. The taking in hand generally involved a stern talking to, which invariably featured the Second World War, garden sheds, philately, and upper lips of the stiff kind. At the end of each lecture, young Arthur had been allowed to nip from his father's brandy flask just to put hair on his chest, so whenever Arthur thought about these disciplinary chats, if he felt sad, then merry, then sleepy, and then woke up with a headache. Arthur knelt beside Trillian and awkwardly cradled her head in the crook of one elbow. There, there, he said. If you can hear me, Trillian, I just want you to know that you look great. I know ladies spend a lot of time worrying about how their outfits look in car crash situations and so on. Giving comfort to females had never been one of Arthur Dent's strong suits. In fact, if comfort giving had been an actual advertised position, Arthur would have never made it past the first interview, especially if there had been any kind of practical exam. Guide note. For the last three decades of real time, the human Arthur Dent had made his life infinitely more miserable than it needed to be by displaying a spectacular ability to say the right thing, but at the wrong time. When Arthur Dent's best friend from university, Jason Kingsley, had been dumped after three years by the love of his life, Stacey Hempton, Arthur assured him that he would not be lonely for long, as slappers like Stacey were easy to come by in any disco. When his Irish aunt Maeve pronounced Hilda, actually it's not, it's Maeve pronounced Hilda, had received a lethal blow from a falling church gargoyle, Arthur had whispered in her ear, at least the cigarettes won't kill you now, eh, auntie? Arthur's tactlessness is only surpassed by that of Galactic President Zaphod Beeblebrox, who once presented P.B. Anjay, the gelatinous king of Shiver City, with a leopard-skin thong as a birthday present. Arthur poked Trillian's cheek with a finger. Trillian, he said softly but urgently, come on, wake up. 
She didn't respond. So Arthur thought back to the first aid afternoon course he'd been required to do to attend by the BBC. As far as he could recollect, most of the afternoon had been spent changing the plug on a coffee machine. But hadn't there been some demonstration involving a plastic dummy with balloons for lungs, mouth to mouth? Arthur had no idea if what he was about to clumsily attempt was the correct course of action, but nevertheless it cheered him up a little to have a course of action to attempt. He placed Trillian's head on the soft grass and leaned over her. You got a pinch? <clears throat> you got to pinch the nose and tilt the head back, said a voice from behind his shoulder. It was the bird he'd been talking to. I met this bird downtown thought Arthur, choking down a hysterical giggle. He parted Trillian's lips with his thumb and took a deep breath. I'm nervous. Why am I nervous? Go on, man, do it! This bird was really pushy. Arthur bobbed a little and then dived in. Their lips locked and Arthur sealed the corners with his thumbs and then blew. There was no reaction initially. It felt to Arthur like he was blowing into a tunnel. Then Trillian's arms came up around his neck and she kissed him passionately. What? Unexpected? Once upon a time this kiss would have been a dream come true. Arthur pulled back and saw that Trillian's eyes were open and glassy with tears. Arthur! Oh, I thought... And Arthur immediately understood. It's Wowbagger. You love him. Once this realisation would have shattered Arthur's world, if he'd had a world to shatter. But now all he felt was a deep empathy for Trillian, who was about to lose her love as he had lost his. Yes, I do love him, said Trillian, nodding, and the motion set rivulets of tears flowing down her cheeks. Something happened in dark space to speed up the falling-in-love process. Where is he? Arthur glanced into the scorched meadow, just in time to see Wowbagger begin his ascent to the stratosphere. And being well aware of his record tactlessness. Arthur tried to say something non-specific. What he said was, Oh, he's around. You rest here. I'll go and get him. And that, ladles and jealous spoons, is where we will leave it for the evening. Thank you very much for being here, as always. Uh, we'll be back same time next week, uh, 2000 CET. Um, uh, yeah, if you could remember, as always, to... Here we go. Patreon.com forward slash the bearded wit or supporter.acast.com forward slash the dash bearded dash wit uh, and make a contribution to keep the podcasts going and to keep this stuff going that would be gratefully received 
Thank you very much for your company, as always, everybody. Um, see you next week. Take care. Look after yourselves. Bye now. <laughs>